This is Story and Rain Talks, the Story and Rain podcast. I'm Tamara, founder and editor in chief. After over 20 years in the fashion and magazine industries, I launched StoryandRain.com, a digital fashion, beauty, and lifestyle publication where we're bridging the gap between reading a magazine and shopping its pages. On this podcast, you'll discover the emerging trends and tastemakers that matter right now. As a catalyst for creativity and through candid conversations with our community of cultural arbiters, we're your resource for discovering today's most interesting people, projects, and products. And we'll explore the origins for game-changing ideas and careers. With our high-low approach to style and the belief that there's magic in the mix, we're going to inspire you to live your most stylish life. Some would say she was or is a quiet storm. I've known Beverly Bond for close to 20 years. And when I first met her, the OG of celebrity DJs was deep into making her mark on the music, nightlife, and fashion scenes. Beverly has model good looks, an elegant demeanor, vast knowledge of songs and artists, and of course, major talent on the turntables. When she began her career as a DJ, she was opening up for other DJs early each evening. Nobody came to the club early, so she was doing everyone a favor. Those initial favors turned into massive high-profile gigs that brought her a huge following and much success. But in 2006, few saw it coming when she created Black Girls Rock to counter the misrepresentation, marginalization, and objectification of women of color in media, and to help lift the systemic barriers to success in place for women of color. The global women's empowerment movement pulls in over 22 billion media impressions through their highly anticipated yearly televised Black Girls Rock Award show. They have over 2 million social media followers and countless high-profile celebrity supporters. Black Girls Rock is a force. On this episode 50 of the podcast, we go back to Beverly's roots, discuss how she's able to maintain her authenticity while also letting herself grow as a person and in her work, why she loves not being put in a box and being able to do many different things, the obstacles that racism has put in front of her, her biggest event and career moments, how Black Girls Rock has evolved and will continue to evolve, and of course our favorite topic, creativity. We also talk about what she's focusing on these days, both professionally and personally. This is an insightful and deep dive with Beverly Bond. Hi, Beverly. Hi, Tamara. So good to see you. It's so good to see you and so good to talk to you. I want to start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Oh, wow. You want to go all the way back? Oh, we're going way back. (laughs) How much time do you have? Um, (laughs) I moved around a lot, but I grew up mostly, um, I want to say Maryland is the home base. Um, That's where my family's from. That's where my grandparents are from. Um, That's where my mom's from. My mother was kind of a rolling stone I like to say um, we weren't in a band. We weren't in the army. Those were the questions that we always got asked, but she did move a lot. Um, and I think that that experience uh, shaped me in an interesting way. Um, I, I used to think that it was um, a hindrance, but then as I got to realize how independent I was, how um, I was never a part of a clique or a crowd because mm-hmm. I was always, you know, I was a new girl. So, you know, that came with challenges, of course, being, you know, a new kid in any space. Um, it kind of puts you in a defensive mode and, you know, picked on and 
Um, and I think it, it definitely contributed to kind of my very reserved, you know, introverted nature. But <laughs> You do have that side to you, that's right. <laughs> but I think it also made me such an independent thinker. Yeah, I was, I was going to say too, I feel like I, I did have this conversation with somebody else recently. It, it gave you people skills, right? Yeah, it made you, yeah. And, 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 you know, we lived in a lot of different types of places. So it wasn't like one, you know, I was in the country, I was in the city, you know, Maryland, we, we lived like, you know, right next door to the Amish. So to see, you know, that level of, you know, right. in, in subculture. Uh, yeah, and just kind of how people can live and exist in worlds. Um, I think it just, it shaped me. Um, I, I think my combination of my perfect storm um, had a lot to do with that. And your your mother wanting to move around was just like, that's how she wanted to live her life? Like she just wanted change or she wanted, or there were other... Yeah, there were she, other... yeah she, she don't like me talking about her like that. Okay, so. that's fine. <laughs> I get it. We can move on. <laughs> but she did like to, she moved a lot. Yes, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you remember most about your childhood? Um, I think that I think that was the biggest part, just like just being in different places. And, um, you know, obviously, Maryland is, is my family base. So that is the most of my memory. Um, you know, um, were there other places I, that I made remember, an impression? I mean, I just remember being happy you know what I mean like a happy child I don't um I don't think that I ever regretted or resented um being moved sometimes I had to live with different relatives within my family right um, but I you know I I was loved you know yes. so I think that that's what I remember the most yes were you always creative even as a child um I believe we all are creative so oh, I, I like this yes um but I do believe that we all are um creatives um, music certainly shaped me very early on. Um, I think my mother had a lot to do with that, but music and rhythm was always in me. You know, it's always been a part of our culture anyway, but my mother specifically was just very um, intentional about making sure that um, it was educational too. Do you know what I mean? And understanding like who did what and played what and why these musicians mattered and what messages were in this music, this music. So that was very cool. When did you start getting into music? Do you remember when it actually ingrained itself in you and it started really resonating with you? Do you remember when you fell in love with music? Um, I would say that I fell in love with music from probably out of the crib. I mean, I don't remember not being in love with music. So... And what was your mother, like, do you have memories of what exactly your mother was playing or things? Oh, that yeah. I mean, she played everything, like, you know, from obviously Stevie Wonder, um, you know, James Brown, um, but she loved a lot of blues, so she would play, like, B.B. Uh, King and Bobby Blue Bland and, you know, some gospel music like James Cleveland and, you know, even, like, rap like Curtis Blow back in the day. So, um, you know, Rick James, um, there's a lot of Rick James, Teddy Pendergrass, because she was in love with Teddy Pendergrass. I know if you know this story, they say that um, the women would go to Teddy Pendergrass concerts and throw their panties. She wasn't one of those, but I'm sure that if she, uh, well, you know what? Honestly, I don't know. Maybe she, Maybe she did. <laughs> yeah. um, tell us the story of, of how and when you decided to become a DJ. How did that all shake out? Um, well, um, it's funny. I, um, I've always 
been, I think I was preparing myself unknowingly, like a lot of people who go into arts that they, um, you know, enjoy. Um, but I, I was a record collector. I was a person who loved music. I was a dancer. I was um, the person the DJ would play for. Um, you know, before I met Mark Ronson, I used to be at the uh, the, the spot on 16th and um, 8th Avenue. I forgot what it is, right by the train. Um, it's the Chase Bank now, but it used to be. Um, a, uh, well, two, two Eyes was across the street. No, no, no Rebar, Rebar. Rebar, yes. Rebar. <laughs> that was rebar. my spot, right? That was and my spot too. Rebar. How could we forget um, Rebar? Yeah, and I think also just being young in New York City also helped shape that because music was so much a part of um, our existence at that time, right? There was a Very club much. every single night. We would go out, you know, dance culture was a big deal. Hip hop was a big deal. Um, you know, reggae was a big deal. So I remember literally going out every night of the week. It's um, true. There was a night for everything. Yeah, there was night. A night. So by day I was a model, but night, by night I was a dancer. And yeah. he literally went to, um, I can't even go through the list now, but I definitely remember Saturday night at the shelter. Um, there's a house club and that will literally go all night long. You come in at like midnight and you go home whenever the DJ decided to stop playing. And yeah. So that could be at three in the right. afternoon. Um, I, I remember going to the club early in the morning. So I was like, you know, I can get my sleep at night and go to the club yeah. at six because he's not going to stop playing until three. Right. right, right, right. <laughs> um, I remember sticky mics on uh, Sunday nights, oh, um, the reggae, you know, just like, just, you know, just in there and the, it, you know, in the, it, it, the energy, the culture, the music, um, you know, it was such an experience. And then just like, you know, every night at Nell's, like if you had, Nell's was like kind of a catch-all on any- Catch-all, I love it, a catch-all. Yeah, Puff had the tunnel popping, um, you know, there was just so much, uh, musical experiences it was and, you know, not, not to bring this into the mix but you know me fashion was part of it too yes fashion fashion you know? was very much a part of it too it and so it was a combination though it was a combination of yeah. like like in new york you could be in a multiple multiple subgroups right and so i think that that all shaped me like i loved music and so I would experience that even CBGBs, you know what I mean? Yeah, so right. with like all of these different um, subcultures in New York, um, and some of us belong to more than one of those things, right? And I think that for me, because of my diversity and moving around, probably helped shape me to belong to more than one of those subgroups. Hundred percent, right? And so um, when I started DJing, I really wasn't thinking about being. I was still a model, and. Um, I didn't think it was a job, but I was collecting records um, like a DJ. I was, um, you know, like I said, I was the person the DJ would play for. I was a dancer. Um, and um, I, 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 I hung around DJs. I would be at the turntables when they were, so I remember Clark, Clark Kent and DJ Basil one night at Nell's talking about the details of the musicians that were playing on a certain song and I'm sitting right there and I'm all in the, you know, I'm you're like, like part of the conversation, yeah, part of the conversation, but I'm not, I'm just like immersing yourself. Yeah. yeah. Immersing yourself. You know, and, um, and I remember, you know, just collecting records. I, one day, um, my, my very good friend, um, Wood Harris, he's my neighbor. He's an actor, you know, Wood, he was Wood in Harris. Wire. 
Yeah, he was in The Wire. He was in Above the Rim. He's a, he's famous. Yeah, um, yeah. But he was um he was the main guy in The Wire before Idris took over. Oh, before Idris. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was Idris's boss, and then I think he got killed on the show. Right. But anyway, so Wood was um he was coming. I was sitting on my stoop. We lived in Midtown, and he was coming back from buying some records from a store, a, you know, a little used record store. And he was like, yeah, I just got these records. And this one is like a hundred and something dollars. And this one is like 200. And this one is like, so I was like, I got those. And he was like, you don't have these. And I was like, no, I have those. And he was wow. like, yeah, can't possibly. So he had like an Eddie Kendricks. Um, I think it was a coffee soundtrack. And I don't remember what else, but whatever he had, he kept bragging about how much his records were worth. And I was like, would I got those records and he was like you don't have these records he says if you have these records do you know how much money you have so you know I was struggling in New York so as soon as he said that I'm like, hmm. he's, he's like let me go get my records yeah. he says if you call Colony right now I guarantee you you will get thousands of dollars right you know wow. I'm like I mean I wasn't bad off but I wasn't you know I wasn't a supermodel I was a regular old model model right <laughs> so, so. A working model regular model yeah, a regular model I mean I didn't have to do you know a restaurant job but I definitely was still you know what agency, were, what agency were you with were you with any? I, I, I started with very uh, early I started with Wilhelmina um, I'm sorry I started with elite new faces and then um, that didn't really pan off and then I ended up with Wilhelmina yeah yeah so um, and I and in between that I was with a sports agency I kind of was a I was really relentless I didn't want to be a model um, but it was the job that paid me so. <laughs> and let's back up for a second. We're talking about all these things, but I want to hear about everything. Um, how did you get discovered? Did I know we? I know we've I talked mean, about this in the past. I, think I was like a discovered because I think discovered is like Naomi Campbell. I think that's discovered. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I got a job, right? No, oh, but like somebody I mean, must have seen you and said. I mean, I got it all my. I, I literally got the scouted since fourteen. Right. So, like a, it wasn't something that I wasn't used to. Yes. Um, it was just kind of like, that was not the pursuit. That's not the thing that I wanted to pursue. Um, mainly because I think, I don't think I would, I think there was a, le a certain level of vanity that you must have to be a really good model. That's right? a really good point. And, I, and if you don't point. have it, it's very difficult for you um, to survive in that business. Um, you have to have really tough skin, but you also have to really believe that you are the shit every time you look in the mirror. And I just couldn't bring myself to that person because that just wasn't the person that I was, yeah. you know, and again, going back to what shaped me, I believe that moving around all the time and being the new girl and being the introvert, I think all of those things, maybe it was a confidence, maybe it was an imposter syndrome. Maybe it was just, I was taught not to ever be vain, you know, mm -hmm. about, your physical appearance, you yeah. know? And yeah. so um, for me, it wasn't a good fit, but it was a job, you know what I mean? And I was appreciative of it. And I think that, you know, having that job is why I was able to afford to become a DJ because being a DJ is not a cheap job. It's a job where you have to spend- Put out some money, yeah. Yeah, and so um, becoming a DJ, um, I, again, I wasn't trying to do it, I, but I kind of knew it, you know what I mean? I kind of, <laughs> I knew the music, I knew the order. I knew the all the all things. the things were in place. You had the collection going. You you were in the club the scene. That's what it was. And so um, I really wasn't trying to do it. My friend worked at Chiba Sound, who managed Mark Ronson, and um, 
Right. I was just, um, well, I bought my turntables, right, for, for um, I don't want to say for my birthday, but I think I did. I just bought them. I bought them because I was just finishing, I know what it was, I was at William Esper, um, I was going to move to L.A. to act, right? I was like, okay, I could do that. So I went to William Esper for two and a half years. It was a really great um, acting school, and Wood is the one who sent me there. He's like, you know, if you really want to a good program, you have to take it seriously. You should go to William Esper. Um, and um, their program was taught at NYU as well. Um, but he's like, they had their own studio, so you could, take, you could go there. So I went to William Esper and they interview you and they hate models because they feel like models, I mean, let me not say they hate models, but they really don't think that you take it seriously because models are traveling, they think they're all pretty and they think- Or models are sent there because they have a certain degree of looks and it's yeah. like a secondary pursuit. Yeah. So, um, you know, they interview you to make sure that you are committed to this thing. Um, and, and I was, you know. And so in that process, what Wood did say to me, which was very interesting, he says, you know, when you take this program, what it does is uh, it teaches Meisner technique, which is all about getting to your core and your truth, right? And um, he says it will change you and you will get, you will deepen, right? Mm -hmm. And I believe that when I finished that program, and I remember felt, being felt like I was picked on, right? Um, because I was, um, I mean, I guess everybody did, but I had a sensitivity because I knew that, you know, how I came in. Um, but I felt like I was never good enough. So I would always like leave the class and I'd be pissed, right? But then I think about what my teacher, Terry, uh, who's a really dope teacher. I actually heard, I heard people shouting him out on the Oscars. I was like, <laughs> like people who went to his class, he's a really dope teacher. I, just, I felt he was picking on me and I felt like he was, um, you know, hard on me, just hard on me. And so I would always try to go back and think about it and just be like, you know what, fuck it. I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna just be that much better. And so I did. And every single time, um, and I got better and better. At the end of the two and a half year program, Terry said, um, he said to the class, he says, um, I did my last scene and he says, you know, Beverly, in, the, in, the, in all of the years that I taught this class, I've never had a student that I have had no notes for. And he says, I have no notes for you. And then he's like, ladies and gentlemen, that's acting, right? Beverly, <laughs> so, I don't, I don't, I don't I know, remember wait, this story. Wait, a so wait I know, because I don't tell it. I mean, I think I told it to you, like when I give speeches to the kids. Of course, yeah, I love that. But, but um, so at that point, everybody's like, "Bev's going to Hollywood," you know. <laughs> Hollywood, Bev. Yes, everyone kind of thought that. Um, West Coast, uh, here she comes. Yeah, that's what it. Do you know John Prada? He was in my class. Mm -hmm. John Prada's in my class. He was um, um. There's a couple people in my class, but um, yeah. So anyway, everybody does go to Hollywood, and I did too. And I planned on it, and I prepared for it. But um, when I talked to Wood, he'd already been back out in LA, and so he says to me, he "said Bev, you know, when you come out here, you gotta have, you gotta have a plan. You gotta have a crew because it's not like New York. You can't go to the coffee shop. You can't just go, you know, go to your friend Tamara's house and ring a bell and just be, you nope. know, welcome an open arm. It's not gonna happen like that. That's you such good advice. Have, you have to have a crew." You have to have, because um, the social life will mess you up. So I was like, oh, I got my records, right? So I said, well, I'll bring my records out. Mind you, I wasn't a DJ yet, right? I said, but I'll bring my records out. Um, oh, he said what he did is him and Saul Williams and Fatima Robinson, the dancer, 
they would have poetry readings. I think at the time Saul and Fatima were dating, so they would have poetry readings at their house. And so I was like, oh, perfect. I can play music at the after party for the poetry reading. So that was fun. There you go. That's how it happened. And then I didn't want to be whack at anything I did. So I was like, well, let me get some practice in DJing for, you know, for real. Um, And um, I think that's when I got my turntables. I had the concept already. I'd known DJs. I dated DJs. I knew the understanding of how to DJ, but I'd never really had it as a thing for myself. So anyway, um, I never made it to LA. I um, started asking DJs that I knew and promoters that I knew, could I open, right? So no one took me seriously. Now, you know, the model DJ is all the rage, right? But then- I mean, you were the first one. <laughs> no, uh, I think- Let's take a moment. I mean- Who, who was the first one, Beverly? Bob? Okay, so this is the thing. If you want to talk about who was playing before me, there were a lot of people playing before me. The level I took it to was a whole nother level. So look at what you brought to it. You would have been, (laughs) you had honed your craft. I I can't claim, I can't claim first because there are DJs. A lot of people who started, I started in 2000. So anybody who can claim before that can, you know, they certainly were before me. Um, I look at Belinda Becker as a person who was like that downtown, cool, um, you know, pretty girl DJ, um, you know, and then there were the radio DJs and there were, there were even other people who were radio, before yeah. me um, who are popular now. And I didn't realize until, you know, after that they were DJing before me. What happened though, when I started, I hit, you know what I mean? I didn't take time to, because um, I was practicing. So when I bought my turntables in November of 99, I practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. Um, I asked promoters that I knew. So Eric LePoe was playing at Nell's. Um, and he was like, okay, you can open for me. You, like, it was easy because no one came to the club early. So I was doing people a favor. Right? Yeah, right. He could and, like take his time getting there. And- yeah. And then I also asked um, Cordell and Everton, who did a party at a club called Spy Bar. So that was my oh, very wow. first job. Spy. So Spy Bar, I remember the, the DJ booth was way up in the top. Up and down, yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, I asked them if I could open and they said, sure. DJ Kiori uh, was, she was another one that was before me. She was, um, you know, really popping. Um, And she was, she would send her own assistants to come and open for her. So um, they let me open. Everton was like, sure, Bev, you know, why not? No one's here. (laughs) Literally, that was usually the reason. No one was there. They didn't pay me any money. No one helped me carry my crates. I had to do all this myself. Right. And so, um, but I wanted to do it, you know what I mean? And I, I really wanted to do it. So I prepared and I tried and I got my first night in the club. Um, I got into the DJ booth and it was massive and it was all of this extra equipment that I don't have at my house. And I was freaking out like, oh shit, like I can't, how do I turn it on? So the manager was looking at me like, oh God, the model DJ, right? <laughs> and so- figure out how to put the switch on. Yeah, so when I started playing, um, I, um, the guy, the same guy, his friend who was a DJ was there. Um, and he was like, yeah, who is this playing? And he's like, it's this girl's first night. And he's like, this cannot be her first night. There's no way that she could be playing like this. And this is her first night. And so when I came out, the same manager came and got me. And he says, I want to introduce you to my friend. How long have you been playing? I said, well, tonight is my first night in the club. He's like, there's no way. But what I'd done prior to that, when I committed to becoming a DJ, I would go out now intentionally, specifically to listen to the DJ. So I would go out, this is how, this is the details, right? This is what the difference that makes you um, excel at what you do. 
I would go out literally and listen to, and it was going to open, right? So let me listen to what people play when they open. I'm going out when the clubs open so I can hear who opens for Mark Ronson, who opens for this one, who opens for that one and what they're playing. And when I tell you that most people were throwing that time away, yes. they, did not, they didn't care about it. They were throwing it away. And I was like, okay, well, if I get at least an hour and a half to two hours before the real DJ comes in and I have an opportunity to play music and there is so much greatness that has happened in every genre, in every generation, I can mix that up and make it make sense and take people on this journey. And so that's what I did. And I think by the third week at Spy Bar, um, you know how back in the day, you know, the celebrities didn't pay for the club. They would just come to the popping club early to have their parties, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so right. Um, it was Angie Martinez and DJ Enough's birthday party the third week in January. And I had only started the first week in January. And you were playing for music people. Yeah, right. so then music people came into the club. Before we were music in the club, right? Yeah. That third week, music people are in the club. Music industry's in the club. Right. So everyone's like coming up one at a time. Like, who's the DJ? Then they would come and see me. And then they're like, oh my God, go see the DJ. So then it became a thing. Y'all got to see the DJ. Y'all got to see the DJ. And um, that was, you know, that was cool. But what was really cool was that uh, Jay-Z was there and Enough was there. Enough, it was Enough's birthday party. And Enough complimented me. And I love DJ Enough because he was on the radio. Um, yeah. And, you know, I knew who he was. And it was just like kind of cool that he paid attention to me and appreciated it, even though I wasn't playing commercially, right? Because I was doing what music lovers love, which is I was digging in the crates and playing music. That's why D-Nice is really popping right now, right? Because he's digging it's so in. so funny, huh? Yeah. Right? He's playing music and he's digging in the crates. So, you, of course, Nile Rodgers and Oprah and you know, Sarita Garrett and Love, you know, yeah, everybody right. is showing up, you Resonate, know, like all of these, yeah. you know, Earth, Wind and Fire, it's like, it's like, oh my God, like they found, they found out that some of us actually play their music and mix it in. Just right? have respect for the history of music. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I love what, you know, I love what's going on with him for that reason. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's, you know, how it started. So by that third week now, you know, with Jay-Z, you know, he just gave me a compliment. He's like, I love the way you play. And I was just like, yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then <laughs> another another party was uh, yeah, Andre Harrell had gotten me to do Robin Thicke's party. He's like, Bev, I want you to do what you do, you know, because I love yeah, Andre's like my mentor. Um, rest in peace. Um, but he was like, I want you to do what you do, just rock it, right? So I came in. This time, Mark usually would be. I'd open for Mark, right? So he never really heard me DJ on my own, right? Because <laughs> it's like he comes in right when um, he's about to get on. So Mark was there, and I remember him saying to some, some, like people were telling me what was happening, and they were all like fascinated that I was good, right? That I was really good. And so Dame Dash was there, Jay Z was there, Puffy was there, um, you know, everyone in the music industry was in this in this party. And of course, this is further down the line. This is years after my yeah. first time. Um, and um, Mark was like, oh my God, Bev is like really dope. So that really meant a lot to me because, I, you know, Mark to me is one of the best DJs because he plays, you know, Mark, Red Alert. There's, I mean, there's a lot of DJs that I love, but, you know, I love DJs that try to be creative in the process of being DJs, not just playing the music, you know, not overdoing it where the crowd is looking at you yeah. like, you know, what's going on, but just, you know. So anyway, um, after that night, when Jay-Z opened up 4040, um, 
his assistant said that everyone was trying to get that job across every DJ across the country wanted that job. And he was like, only one DJ is open in my club and that's Beverly Bar. So wow. um, that was really dope. Um, I was going to say, do you have yeah. like a most memorable, memorable moment or most thrilling moment as a DJ to date? Um, I have so many, I mean, you must have so many. Yeah. I have so many moments I have, you know, there was a time when Prince came to the club and he just was like, you know, he was he was so moved and came back and got me again to DJ for him. Um, um, gosh, there's so many. Puffy's after after party. I was DJing at Joe's Pub one night and then he had the after party at Butter. And I remember security, oh. it was so packed. Security had to lift me up and carry me over the crowd to get me in. I remember that about Butter. Yeah. Butter was yeah. small. But this was like at 4.30 in the morning. This is when the party started. So I loved, you know, I love that. I mean, I think I, I've DJed for so many different people, um, you know, and um, it's been so many, you know, wonderful experiences. Your brother's wedding, you know, like, yeah, I mean. got that too, yeah. You know, there are so many different, I mean, I think DJing is just a, it's a different experience every time. It's a wonderful experience every time. And it doesn't matter if you've got all the celebrities in the world or one person, um, it's still the same feeling. You know what I mean? Because yeah. The same kind of energy that you yeah, get from yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Beverly, let's, you, 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 you work on so many projects, right? We're going to get to your other projects and your other big things that you're doing right now. Very, very big things. How yeah. do you see yourself? Like, what is the breakdown for you these days? You, you do so many different things. Like, how, what's the, uh, that's the best way I can put it. How do you break it down? Um, I say, I mean, I, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm DJ Beverly, but I love the fact that some people can't take the DJ out of front of, out of the front of my name. Right. Um, I, you know, I think I live. You know, in my, my book, um, my tagline is own your magic and rock your truth. And I think I do that well. Um, I think I am able to um, maintain my authenticity um, while continuing to grow um, as an individual, as a businesswoman, but also um, continue to help to shine a light on others and um, bring a whole bunch of people with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I feel like part of what you're saying is not being allowed to put in a box be put into a box yeah, and being allowed to do all these different things. And that's, and I think it all makes, it all makes it, it, it's with, it makes sense. It's a, it's part of the puzzle. It's part of the, the tapestry, you know, yeah. I think that it all goes together. So um, I believe that, you know, one of the things that Michaela Angela Davis said to me once was that Beverly, she was like, the way you create a black girl's rock is the way you DJ. She was like, you you mixed it all together and you made it all make sense. That's the way she's like, she saw the award I show. Love like, I love that. You have multiple that. generations. You got people that we know, people that we don't know. And you like, like yeah. you honor all of these people. You know it, what I mean? And, and everybody loves every single moment of all of it, you know? And yeah. So, you know, that's a I love thing. that. The big, the yeah. mix, the tagline for Story and Rain for the magazine is there, there's magic in the mix. I believe that 100%. Um, what obstacles have you faced in your in your career at large? Sexism, racism, black women. I mean, yeah. those are obvious, but that's real. Um, you know, and it's been constant. Um, it's at uh, every level. Um, I think that women don't know what we don't know. I think sometimes we take it 
Um, I think that um, the same thing with, with racism. I think we take it and we, we've kind of been quiet. And so we see this moment in time when people are actually you know, speaking loudly and, and telling their truth and telling their stories and telling their experiences. You know, there was a time when we would sweep everything under the rug if we didn't want to make too much noise. And I remember when I started Black Girls Rock, it was like, you know, I was already this it girl DJ, you know, popping. And when I started Black Girls Rock, it was kind of like, it took some people by surprise because I was quiet, so they didn't know what I was thinking. So then it was like, oh. Like, oh, she started this big, this whole thing. This black thing, this black thing, right? Black it was too thing. black, it was yeah. too black. And um, that was an issue, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was an issue that kind of got me, at first, um, my, my, I saw myself dwindle. I saw my jobs dwindle. I saw- um, You did. History. Yeah, because was of Black, Black Girls Girl. Rock? Because of Black Girls Rock, because of me being very, before I started Black Girls Rock, I spoke up for Black DJs. And I spoke about how Black DJs were not being um, the given the same level uh-huh. of support mm-hmm. in, in a culture mm-hmm. that they are legitimately born in, right? And there was so much you know, on the low, people were like, yo, Bev, I love the article. But then in reality, it's like, oh, stay away from Bev. She's too black, she's too power to the people. And wow. no one ever saw it coming from me because I was so quiet. And so now to see this moment where we are, where you know, people that you were not expecting to actually tell their truth are starting to be okay. And I know what it was, I know what it is. A part of it is just you know, the fear of not being able to exist or um, to have a livelihood um you know it we need it you needed more people to be on the same page in order for um message to be received and i for a long time you know black girls rock i started in 2006 i didn't take it to tv until 2010 right and it wasn't until i took it to tv that the industry that shunned me all of a sudden was like oh shit you know because they thought i was gone or whatever they thought i was out because my dj jobs dwindled I was, I remember somebody, you know, very close to me in the industry. Why has everything got to be so black? Why Who everything said that? I can't say. That. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, you know, I took those hits because I believed in us as black women. I believed in what I, I knew what I was saying was right and truthful. Um, and I knew that there needed to be a space for us to matter, for us to exist, for us to not feel that. We were, um, you know, our only existence was either being objectified or marginalized or, um, you know, just stereotyped, right? And that was usually the story for Black women, especially in media, um, where I was focused at. So, um, you know, to it was, you know, I started a movement, you, you know, did without start a movement. It, yeah. And it's, and, it's, it's, and it's just getting started, which is the beautiful thing, you know, yeah. There's so much more to do. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you this question. I've been thinking about this and it's kind of a weird, maybe it's probably maybe a weird question for you to answer, but did you always feel that you were like destined for big things? Um, I believe everybody is born with a big dream. So I do believe that, um, I've lived with rose colored glasses most of my life. Um, I think we all are born and when we go through life and I think circumstances can change that for us. It's our outlook on it. I don't think that everybody could have gone through what I went through, just even just being moved and picked on and bullied and all those things. Um, and still have, um, 
the positive outlook that I have. Um, so I've always dreamed big. I've always seen more. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I get um, that. And when I started Black Girls Rock, I knew that it I knew that it was going to be the thing. I knew it that it was an answer. I knew that I wasn't talking to anyone else but black women. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you could get with this or you could get with that. Like that's the way I looked at it. It was like, I'm not really if you're not hearing this, it's okay. You don't need to hear this. this right. Is only for us. This is only for us that need to hear it. Because I knew that that affirmation hadn't been said to my grandmother, my mother, our babies, you know what I mean? I knew that there, there needed to be something that reminded us of our own special space in this world. And then again, when I say my perfect storm, being a DJ who was paying a lot more attention to music messaging and images, being a model who remembers going in and them telling you all the time, you know, we got our black girl. Like, and I, I, I remember thinking, this thing, this like, how happen. are people talking like this right now? What's happening? I mean, it wasn't like it was a, you know, it wasn't a strange thing for the fashion industry to no. be. This I was well, saying the fashion industry is really, we'll see where things go, but has always been about. Yeah. Judgment so, and categories. Yeah. And so the, I think all of those things and then living in different places, um, living, going to all black schools, going to all white schools, going to mixed schools, going right. to private schools, going to public schools. All of those things gave me a different slice of black girl life in many different spaces. And I think that all of those things were my perfect storm. Yes. You know? Yes. 100%. So what fuels your drive? And has that, what, is there something that has always fueled your drive or is what, what fuels your drive? Has that changed over the years? Um... I mean, I think that, you know, obviously my, my vision um, is, is, is what fuels my drive, um, my passion, um, my passion for justice, my passion for beauty and love and light and God and um, music and, you know, all of those things that, that make you your individual self are all of the things that um, push me my creativity, um, you know, I think that the one beautiful thing about being a DJ as a creative is you're constantly in a creative zone, right? Because you're, you're spinning one record on this hand, you're playing another one on this hand, using the crossfader, you have to think about what you're going to play next, you have to look and see your crowd to see how they're responding to you, you know what I mean? You're listening in two different ears, you're using two different hands, two different things, so you are in a constant state of creation for the entire time that you literally, are. literally, yeah, yeah. literally, <laughs> and it definitely helps to build that muscle, right? And so I think all of that um, helps to um, drive me. Yes, um, we talked about we were obviously talking about Black Girls Rock, but do you remember? Is there is there a story for when the idea exactly was like hatched for Black Girls Rock? Was there a catalyst? Was there a moment? Um, I think that. You know, as a black woman, there were many times when we would voice our opinion amongst each other, like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe that this was, you know, this was the thing. And I can't, you know, and you're always looking around, like, who's going to do something? Who's going to say something? Who's going to handle this? Who's going to be the person? Um, and 
my moment was really, this was going to be a t-shirt, right? So I was like, Black Girls Rock would be a dope t-shirt. I, I remember yeah. with the t-shirts. Yeah, and I... I remember my, this. I, I remember the t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I think you have a t-shirt. I do have um, a t-shirt. So I, I, I wanted to write all the names of Black women who rocked throughout time. So this list went on and I was writing it. And my husband says that I started crying. I don't remember what happened, but I remember that I was writing these names and I'm writing from Harriet Tubman to Sojourner Truth to, um, you know, Diana Ross to Beyonce, just writing every black woman in, in history that I could think of. And I'm running through paper and running through paper and I'm writing on legal paper. And I'm just going down the list and writing and I stopped. And I literally said, oh my God, I said, this is bigger than me. And I was like, I can't keep this to myself. This can't just be a t-shirt. This has to be something bigger because this is the affirmation that we all need. This is what our babies need. Um, and, I, and I think maybe the week before I was walking past the laundromat in my, on my neighborhood and the little girls were standing next to a car and the car was playing the most, um, I can't remember what song it was. I think it was Project Chip, right? And I'm thinking about the, the lyrics to that and why, you know, what they claim, the disclaimer of what this Project Chick did, right? So I'm thinking to myself, damn, you know, I didn't live in the projects, but I lived right next door to the projects. And I'm like, how is this the, how, who decides that this is the story of the girl who happens to be born in poverty, who has no say-so? And if I'm a little girl listening to this and I live in the projects, then you just told me my story. Yes. There's nothing that's countering that. There's nothing out here countering that that's saying that that's not my truth, you know? And so that was the kind of things that I was paying attention to that I don't think everybody else was at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, other people would just go to the club and dance, right? And I'm like, fuck, now I got a problem. You know what I mean? Now somebody asked me to play this song, I can't play because now I got to think about it. You know what I mean? So it was those kinds of things that were gnawing at me, those were the, that, that was the catalyst. But in that moment was when I created the, the idea for this t-shirt. That's really powerful and profound. When did things shift for Black Girls Rock in a sense? And when, when did you begin to see more traction, more support? What, I mean, was, what? you know, immediately when we went to TV. That, yeah. that changed um, everything, but it was already, the traction was building, as you remember, before we got to TV, which is why they wanted it. Way for before, TV. that's right. Yeah. Because, you know, from 2006, we were at, in Brooklyn, at the Powerhouse Book Gallery, Art Gallery, and we honored MC Light and Jazzy Joyce, because I always felt the DJ need to be honored, right? And, um, you know, we had some speakers there, it was Kevin Powell and Joan Morgan and um, a couple of other people. And I didn't speak that because I was still in my, you know, my reservations, right? Yeah. But the people that were there um, were like, wow, this is so powerful. Like how, like this has got to grow. And I remember even, you know, we, we had to hire security. So we had to hire the, the precinct that was next to the powerhouse. And even the guys there were like, how can we help? Like, <laughs> this is really powerful what you're doing, right? So that was already an affirmation, right? And then by the following year, it was such an affirmation and people had been reaching out to me, reaching out to me. By the next year, we got to Lincoln Center. And, you know, we did every year at Lincoln Center and then Time Center uh, and then TV. So it wasn't like it was a small thing. It was as big as what Alicia Keys does with the black ball and what Rihanna does That's with right. the diamond uh, ball. 
right? There was, so, yeah, there was a need. There was a there was a void yeah. that had to be filled. Yeah, so it was building up. And I remember the 2007 awards. Um, Carrie Washington had gotten word about Black Girls Rock, and she called us and was like, "I'm not sure how you guys are going to figure this out, but you need to fit me in." <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's so, yeah. You know, people are coming to you. Yeah, so it was always you know it was always these women, and 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 quite frankly, a lot of Hollywood women. Um, from Regina King from day one, yes, uh, you know, Gabrielle Union, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, all of these women, Mary J. Blige, Naomi Campbell, all of these women were supporters before TV, you know? Yeah. And, and so that was the beautiful thing about, you know, Queen Latifah, um, I'm not even named Janelle Monet. Um, there yeah. were so many people that were a big part of BGR before we even took it to TV. So, you know, it certainly was on fire by the time I took it to BET. And then of course, when you take it to TV, you increase your audience and then there's more bells and whistles with all the fancy, you know, lighting and staging and stuff like that. But the, the core of the show remained the same. The yes. category remained the same, the, the feeling remained the same, and then the necessity of the messaging remained the same. And so now the world caught on was like, oh my God, you know, what is this? Um, and I mean, it's, it's what, when I see and hear the testimonials and stories of how this has changed lives. Um, you know, that is uh, a confirmation that you are on track, right? Yes. With where you're supposed to go. That's right. I was going to, one of my questions to you was, what are, you know, A, how are you creative for BGR today? Like, what what is, how are you creative in your work with BGR today? That's one question I had for you. And the other one also was, what are your favorite aspects of the of the job? Is is it those light those stories of how you've changed people's lives, or have, how BGR has changed people's lives? Is that sort of the most rewarding? Or are there other aspects of this that you enjoy working on? I think all of it. Again, you know, all of it. I mean, from being able to build out a whole leadership conference for girls, uh, for teen girls. Like I've created a whole nonprofit arm to Black Girls Rock, where we have mentees. You know, we have girls from all over the world that have been through our program since. 2011, I think, you know, we've been doing, well, actually since 2006, but then when we did national stuff, it started in 2011. So we have girls from all over the world. Um, that's one of the beautiful things. Um, and just being able to really pour into them um, to create the award show and actually have budgets that, you know, come from networks. That I know. Are, I love that. I see that. Yeah. Now. I see, I see it. I'm like, wow, this is so it, I, it just makes me so happy. It's such a large scale this is operating on. Yeah, and, and so, like, I'm so happy for you. Well, that's the one thing. But now, you know, where we are with COVID, it changes the game again. Oh, so, um, so it's like, that. can we talk about that for a second? How has COVID changed things for you guys? I mean, it's, well, it's going to. I'm in the process, so I probably can't talk about it yet because we okay. haven't talked about what we're doing. Um, yeah, you're going to do a say that, you know, all of those things, of the moment when people come into the room and they walk away and they say, oh my God, like this is, you know, um, the fact that everybody that comes to Black Girls Rock, every speech has purpose and meaning. No one like, you know, I see people on other award shows and they're like, thank you, God bless, and good night. <laughs> you wasted all that time. Yeah, right. and, and on Black Girls Rock, they go in. You know, no, the speeches are, are, are like a little gift. It's like a yeah. little gift for everyone. And it create the moments. Like to be able to be um, able to create um, some of the most stellar award show moments um, that, you know, I was already doing this anyway as a DJ because that's what DJs do, but to be able to have a budget and to be able to do it, um, that is, you know, a super rewarding part to actually have a creative idea and be able to bring it to life. 
You know what I mean? So yeah. that's being an executive producer on a TV show and being able it's to incredible. really create. It's, it's you know, does Bond Vision is your media company. Yes. Um, do you have other projects yes. with Bond, Bond Vision? Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, they're in the works. They're in the works. Okay, yeah. that's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Um, and also this question, Bev. You've met countless, at this point, countless interesting people in your life. Um, who do you truly admire? Oh my God, um, so many people I admire. I mean, I admire Regina King. I just think she's just so boss and awesome and dope and giving and loving. Um, Michelle Obama, same thing, you know, just incredible. Like whenever we call, we're so surprised that she's always there. Um, you know, um, Susan Taylor, there's so, there's too many to name, honestly. Um, you know, Rihanna, you know, um, women that you may not know that are just as equally um, powerful, like a uh, sister named April Holmes. She's in my book. She's like the fat, well, she was, she held the record for the past, fastest um, paraplegic in the, in the, not 100 meter, but the one when you go all the way around the track. What is that? Yep. Yeah. So, you know, there's, it's so, so inspiring. There's so many, so many incredible women. Mara Brockakeel, mm. um, just dope woman, um, gifted, talented, um, um, Melina Makusis, who actually was in the clubs with us, you know, so to watch her grow into who she is, it's like, yeah. I'm so proud of her. I love it. I love who she is. I love what she does. Melina White, um, Ava DuVernay, there's so many. I mean, yeah. I could go on forever and yeah. ever and ever, you know. So many. Ever and ever, ever, you know, so many. Being such a forward-thinking person, are you ever met with resistance to your ideas? Absolutely, yeah. Does the, how do you deal with that? Um, fight. I fight a lot, especially, you know, coming into a network that was really opposite of me, um, mm. but wanting me to be there, but kind of wanting me to be there with their vision, um, that wasn't going to happen. So um, I at first I had to fight with making, you know, it took me a long time to make a deal with BT. I didn't make a deal until uh, they wanted me from 2008. I didn't make a deal until 2010. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let them own it. That was the main thing. And a part of yes. it was because I didn't want to, I knew what yes. all the things that I talked about earlier, what I saw that black women were dealing with, a lot of corporations, sometimes their hands are tied. Sometimes they have to, you know, they, they're, they are uh, obligated to those ratings, however they get them, right? And so I wasn't that person and I wasn't going to allow this product to turn into something that did not uh, represent what it's supposed to. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's a lot of fighting, but I think anybody that, you know, has a vision and everybody in Hollywood um, and in TV, um, they talk about that all the time, fighting for their vision and fighting for what they know they see, you know? Mm -hmm. Like no one ever goes into an artist, a, a visual artist's room while he's painting a, a masterpiece and changes his paint out and says, hey, you know what? Let's use some neon right over here. You know, I think the eyes need a little bit of neon in them. No one does that, right? <laughs> right. And I just get like, you know, when you come into a space where you have a team now, that's the one thing. But when you really have people, especially if it's men trying to change your vision because they think they know it's really, it's an amazing fight to have. I want to talk about that one day. I haven't talked about that um, a lot, but I love how I'm seeing people tell their truth and tell their real stories right now. People are opening up, I guess, because we're in Armageddon and the yeah, end of the world. Yeah, it's everything's, well, everything's, everything's, 
things are stripped away for a lot of people. Yeah. Kind of, you just get to the core of what's important and what, what's top of mind. And yeah, you know, and I think that's what's happening. People are just, yeah. 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 Um, where and when do you feel most creative? Um, probably behind the turntable, so that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say, Beth? That's my safe space. Right. When you think of young black women, what words come to mind? Um, dope, fly, fresh, they rock. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I see, um, I, I love what I'm seeing right now. I think that Black Girls Rock has, has contributed to um, this incredible agency that, that young black women are holding. Um, they feel empowered to be, um, to not necessarily fit into a box. Um, um, and to be everything that they choose to be. Um, I think it's beautiful to see that happening now. Um, and um, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy to, to have contributed in any small way to that. Yes. Let's switch gears for a minute uh, as we wrap up here. We're just going to do a lightning round of your favorite things. Okay. Favorite denim. Oh, you mean like color or yeah. brand? Denim brand. Oh, gosh. Oh, ooh. <laughs> gosh, oh, skip, go next, next, next. Okay, favorite <laughs> lipstick? Lipstick. Um, I like the, the little Fenty, um, I don't know what it's called. I'm still not a, a you're such a fashion girl, I forgot. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what like, do you? You know, it's in the tube and you like put it on, it stains your lips. What is it called? Yeah, I wish we knew which brand that was because I want to know what that is. Fenty. What is it? It's the Fenty brand. Oh, by Fenty. Yeah, okay, yeah. We'll it's up. like a little tube. It's like it's the cute. Fenty tubes. We'll look that up. Yeah. Um, what do you use on your skin? Oh, I love the. Um, so my favorite favorite thing in the world, and I swear by this because people tell me I have. Well, I, I think I've always had good skin. My um, favorite is the Doctor Dennis. Someone I should okay. know this better. That's okay. We'll figure it out. It's these little pads. Um, so yeah, the Dr. Dennis, um, I'll get it to you, but it's We'll like, figure it out. Okay, good. Right. It's like these little pads. They're the best thing ever. Wow. Okay, it's I love this. Like, um, I don't know what it is. It's like, I'm intrigued. It's, it's, I love a good, like, yeah, treatment. It's pad. enough. It's strong enough that it's a, it's a product. And yeah. I've tried it from, um, they have another one similar to it, but it's too strong. Um, what are you binge watching? Oh my God. Um, I am not binge watching right now. I think my last binge watch was, um, oh my God. I tried Black Mirror, but some things freaked me out. It just was too much. Yeah, I know. Went left and I'm like, I'm not really trying to go there. Um, um, <laughs> Someone uh, got me hooked on. There's, um, a, there's a reboot for Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Okay. And um, someone got yeah. me hooked on it and it's so good. It's only like six episodes. I, uh, Issa Rae, I did that because I didn't watch it all at one time. So I watched Insecure. I binge watched that. Oh, I need to binge watch Insecure. Yeah, I, I did that. I and then, um, um, Walking Dead was one of my favorite. Oh, you're a Walking Dead person. I'm totally ready for the zombie apocalypse. Like, I'm Wow, so you're a Walking Dead person. Yeah, Interesting. And then like anything, and I'm, I'm a, that's weird. I'm a weather buff. So I love the weather channel. <laughs> <laughs> so I love 
And I, and I love um, like science, nature, like those are my things. Like, you those do? Are, things are they love. relaxing? Do you find that stuff relaxing? Yeah, and I just find it fascinating. It's like yeah. I feel so, you know, like. Okay. That's the thing. Three songs for summer 2020. Ooh, gosh. Um, three songs. Three songs for summer 2020. Yeah. Um, they don't have to be songs right now. Well, Beyonce. No, just like what? What are you think? Three songs for summer twenty twenty. What comes to mind? Um, Tupac changes for sure. Mm-hmm. I feel like we are in a time of revolution. I think Gil Scott Heron. The revolution will not be televised. I feel like everything is about liberation and revolution right now. Um, and um, Jay Z, Dear Summer, just because that's a summer song for me. Perfect. What are you supposed to- now? What were you saying about Jay-Z's song? Um, I said they're all classics, but not right now. But I'd, I'd also say um, I have more. I could, okay. I, yeah, I have more. Okay. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. What are you focusing on professionally and personally these days? Um, well, focus on professionally is building my business, um, you know, continuing to grow it, um, becoming a bigger um, content producer as well as a bigger network for other people to be able to um, showcase themselves through the audience that we've managed to build. Um, You know, so that's one thing. Um, Just growing better as a person, um, becoming uh, more connected with the universe, um, becoming healthier. Um, You know, I'm I'm, kind of healthy you know, but being healthier, um, um, becoming more spiritually grounded. Um, you know, I feel like there's always higher levels of that. Um, just, just being a, a better human being. And where does DJ fall on the list? Is there, are there DJ projects you st- still want to take on or are you? Yeah. I mean, I always take know, them. Yeah, I, I, you know, I actually, ex- I've um, opened up our platform for other girls to DJ so that they can, um, you know, be, you know, and then building the, out the, the nonprofit is important to me too. Like this year we're doing um, our Black Girls Lead program um, at the end of this month and we, because of COVID, we can't do it in person. So now we've opened the platform for a thousand girls. So we're excited about that to be able to mentor more That's girls at the same time. So yeah, there's a number of things. What else is on your list of to-dos in your lifetime? Um, I have some personal projects that I'm working on, um, just trying to build some some other stuff outside of DJing and Black Girls Rock. Um, you know, I have some scripted projects that I was working on as well. I think you might know about one of them. Um, and so just trying to get some other projects out there. Hollywood is calling you back. After yeah. all, years yeah, <laughs> yeah, come full, full circle, right? Yeah, yeah, always. Yeah, Beverly Bond, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I could talk to you all night. I could talk to you too. Thank you. Right, thank you so much for your time. I'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.